Whips, Widows and War Machine. Welcome to episode 3 of Marvel vs. Marvel, a podcast where a comic book fan and a Marvel movie fan re-watch the MCU movies and try to compare and contrast the uh, movies that dominated the cinematic world with the original comic books that inspired them so many years ago. Hello and welcome to episode 3. My name is Rob Holden. I'm an avid and confirmed comic book fan and reader of over 30 years, and I'm joined on this journey by the other side of the geek coin, if you will, Mr. Will Preston. Thank you. I like to be on the other side of the coin. (laughs) It's a safe side to be. (laughs) And can we just confirm, Will, for all the uh, people out there listening, that you have never read a Marvel comic in your life? No, uh, I, not not for. I've tried, but I've gone straight back to more darker stuff like Alan Moore. <laughs> oh God, yeah, Alan not really did any uh, any Marvel stuff. So that's what this yeah. podcast is all about. Um, we're going through the MCU movies in order, and uh, as well as exploring the Marvel movies, we're going to be dumping a whole load of glorious comic book trivia right in your lap. Um, some fantastic tidbits from the sixties from the 70s and the 80s, especially in this episode here, episode 3, which focuses on Iron Man 2. We've already done I, the beginning of the MCU uh, with Iron Man. We've already done Incredible Hulk. Those movies came out like one month after the other, and now we're going to dive right in to Iron Man 2, the third movie that was made um, in the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And i got to say, before we crack on with the film, it was a bit disappointing for me as a as a fan, when this was announced, because they'd already started with Hulk, they'd started this shared universe, and we got one right after the other, and then we had this long wait, and it was announced that the next movie wasn't going to be Thor, or, I don't know, Avengers, or another hero, it was going to be going back to do more Iron Man. I wasn't kind of vibing with that at the time. I wanted, (laughs) I was like when... Uh, Prince, I wanted the new Prince album. I didn't want to go back to the last Prince album. Give me the new stuff. <laughs> no, I, t- I totally understand. I-, I was okay with it because I-, I saw the first Iron Man film. I was like, oh, this is quite good. And it's like, oh, they're going to do more Iron Man. Well, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I didn't it know the whole... Yeah, 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 it, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. I, I didn't realise this was going to be part of a massive shared expanded universe. So I didn't realise that I had more to expect. I was just happy about Iron Man. <laughs> and financially, of course, it makes sense because Iron Man, the first one, was a big hit, and so you know, you know what Hollywood loves? Uh, it loves uh, a sure thing. It hates taking chances, mm. so it made sense. But I, I kind of wanted to. We've just had Hulk. Let them meet. Come on, let's do something. <laughs> so that was a little uh, disappointing from a comic book fan perspective. But I did enjoy. I did end up enjoying the movie. Uh, hugely. Yeah. Um, before we get going, though, we should we haven't done the rules. That's my fault. We need to do the rules. Will, what is the one and only rule of Marvel versus Marvel? Rob, the only rule of Marvel versus Marvel is no gatekeeping. No gatekeeping. That's right. This is a podcast for fans of the movies, for fans of the comic books, for yes. people who have only seen like the last couple of big Avengers movies, or or for people who have read the comics and turned their noses up at the movies. This is <laughs> this is a, a podcast for everyone. Uh, gatekeeping is like the worst thing in, in geekdom and in fandom. Uh, we want everyone to be able to listen and enjoy uh, this podcast, and you're going to get a lot out of it, because there's so much... There's so much to do in this one. 
There's <laughs> just talk about the villain is that there's a lot to pack into the villains here. Um, oh, so God. I guess without further ado, I turn it over to to you, our movie our movie expert. Well, our movie watcher, our movie fan. <laughs> what, I've been how, how off? Where do we start? <laughs> Where do we start? Right. So the movie starts. In Russia. So, the media covers Tony Stark's disclosure of his identity as Iron Man from the last film. Uh, Ivan Vanko, whose father, Anton Vanko, has just died, sees this and begins building a miniature arc reactor similar to Stark's. Right. So we Well, yeah, miniature from the massive one. <laughs> from the massive blew one. Up. It's the same size as the one that Stark has, doesn't it? Same, same size. Just... So, can we talk about Vanko just yet or shall we leave that for later? No, we can talk about Vanko. Let's yeah. talk about Vanko now. Let's talk about Vanko. So, upon, upon first glance, he would look to a comic book fan to be one of the classic Iron Man villains, Whiplash. Right. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the classic sound of a Whiplash. <laughs> you can do it at home. Because uh, he's got massive whips on his He gets massive whips on his hands and he whips people. And that looks like the character Whiplash. But the problem with that is that Whiplash is is this is an early uh, Iron Man villain sort of um, sixty three sixty four yeah uh, but he he is not a Russian <laughs> he is, his his name is not Ivan Vanko uh, and there is another Iron Man villain who is um, so this movie Whiplash is like that he's two they've combined two classic Iron Man movies into one brand new character basically that makes sense. Um, in, in the in the comic books, Whiplash, he's an, an engineer called uh, Mark Scalotti. Um, no connection to the Vanko family, not a Russian. Um, and he is, yeah, he's a, he's a technical engineer who works at Stark Industries, gets cheesed off by not getting enough money. This is a common thread with um, yeah. all early... So Iron Man villains, to begin with, are split into two characters, that, two categories. They're either uh, communist spies or... They're disgruntled workers who <laughs> hate the fact that they have to keep working for a millionaire, a billionaire. Like it's like all the hard graft, and here comes Tony Stark with his pencil thin mustache and is a sexy secretary. Urgh, I think I'm gonna put on some deadly weapons and blow things up. So what you're saying is the subtext behind Iron Man is unions are bad. <laughs> um, essentially, it's it, honestly it, the, the 60s comics are just dripping with everything at the time. It is pro-capitalism. It is anti-communism. It is anti-unions. It is kind of anti-workers. All workers are seen as, unless you're like Happy Hogan, who we'll talk to a little bit, Tony Stark's. We'll get to him. Remind me, we're going to talk about Happy Hogan. But Happy yeah. Hogan's like the only kind of happy worker. Um, he was just, you know, doffing the cap at the gentry. Oh, <laughs> me Lord Stark. Oh, oh, gosh, blimey, thank you for my job. Everyone else just gets disgruntled and starts to blow things up. Um, so, yeah, uh, Whiplash, he, he builds himself a big old whip. A big old whip. A big old whip. And can somehow whip through metal like it can destroy metal it's a whip so good it can destroy metal he's that- got a big long ponytail he wears a cape his name's whiplash he is the first and one of the only bondage themed supervillains that you get in marvel um he works for quite a, for, for a huge amount of time he works for the marvel version of the mafia who for some reason they don't call the mafia it's like they're kind of afraid <laughs> not no. of getting sued but maybe of them coming after them? Well, getting so, uh, cement shoes or whatever. 
they change one letter. Oh, Instead of no. the Mafia in Marvel, it's called the Magia. Oh, for M-A-G-I-A. Not M-A- no, I, I honestly have no idea why. The Magia. But- uh, and Whiplash works for them for a while because that's a guaranteed uh, pot of money. He works for mm. Justin Hammer for quite a lot of his career. So that kind of makes sense with this movie. Yeah, uh, and in the eighties, he, for absolutely no reason whatsoever, changes his name to from Whiplash to Blacklash, not Backlash, which would make some sense. Right, Backlash, a whip, and a backlash of I don't know whatever. Blacklash. He just starts wearing even more S and M themed gear. He goes all black with the near gimp suit. So Blacklash either sounds like a black exploitation version of Whiplash, or yeah. or a goth band, emo goth oh, band. Yeah. Blacklash. So that's <laughs> Whiplash, who I think you'll agree is not this Ivan Vanko character at all, is he? No, no, no. I've, Ivan Vanko no. is well in this film. It's yeah. just it's just Mickey Rook looking like he used to be in a sleaze rock band. <laughs> that's everything Mickey Rook does. Once he did that boxing career and messed himself up, yeah, uh, he can't get away from that. So he just, the, the movie combines yeah. uh, Whiplash with one of Iron Man's real classic villains, the Crimson Dynamo. <laughs> Stop laughing, Will. If you're I- gonna laugh at every '60s comic book. <laughs> Character name. We will be here for hours and hours. I, I know, but but he does sound like something like nineteen thirties DC, like the That's Crimson. Very true. He's got a very Dynamo. old name, hasn't he? Yeah, the yeah. Crimson Dynamo. <laughs> yeah. He's he's basically a commie Iron Man. He's he's a Russian Iron Man. Um, mm. He's he's uh, Anton Vanko, who is oh, okay. Ivan's father in this. So Anton Vanko. Um, is a Russian scientist who builds a power suit like Iron Man's. Uh, it's one kind of alternating figure is that it generates its own power by mm. being used. Hence, it is a dynamo. Dynamo. Yeah. Honestly, it's Stan Lee read knew one thing about motors, <laughs> <laughs> and he went Excelsior. He shall be a communist. Um, so uh, the Crimson Dynamo is kind of like funded by the Kremlin, and the Kremlin in the sixties. Fly him right over to um, America to sabotage Tony Stark's factories yeah. and to like destroy and steal the weapons he's building for the U.S. Army. He gets very quickly and handily beat by Iron Man straight away. Uh, straight away, first appearance, boom, done. So he can't go back to Russia because mm. he will end up in a gulag if he's lucky. <laughs> so he def- he defects to America. Um, and Stark helps him out. I think Stark gets him a job, and he's like, "Yeah, I know I kicked your ass, but why don't you come and work for me uh, in Stark Industries and be one of my wage slaves?" We could so, be using Russian Soviet... defector. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I, I it feels like this is how Stark Industries gets a lot of their un their, their cheap labor. Just defected KGB agents. Just... <laughs> We're worse than the well, Americans for the Nazis. You, you can't go home, so you might as well get a job on the production line. Um, <laughs> I don't act yeah. up and form a union, or we'll send you home. Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, Vanko's uh, Soviet masters eventually send another Crimson Dynamo to go and kill him. Um, he and, and and the original dies, saving Tony Stark. And then that name, Crimson Dynamo, has come back again and again and again. There have been 13 Crimson Dynamos oh, over the years. 
Um, so yeah, this this uh, MCU character is kind of a combination of Whiplash and the Crimson Dynamo kind of wedged together. Okay, that 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 actually makes quite a lot of sense. Also, thirteen Crimson Dynamos. At one point, none of them just went. You know what? Maybe we should update the name. <laughs> or t- maybe change also, the color. Thirteen Crimson Dynamos is a really great name for a band. Thirteen Crimson, <laughs> like a deathcore band. You know how all these all these hip young bands now have to be really specific. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm going to get thirteen Crimson Dynamos on a T-shirt, and I'm going to oh. look really depressed when I listen to it. Oh, I love that. Fantastic. So that covers Vanko, Ivan Vanko, Anton Vanko. So he's he's a combination. He's almost a portmanteau of two uh, previous uh, villains. Okay, so he's building a miniature arc reactor similar to Stark's. And six months later, Stark is a superstar and uses his Iron Man suit for peaceful means, resisting government pressure to sell his designs. He reinstitutes the Stark Expo to continue his father, Howard's legacy. I have to say, what an opening to the film. I mean, I remember seeing this in the cinema. I watched it with my brother and ex-girlfriend, and I think my dad, or no, my, my stepdad. And because we're all ACDC fans, we were loving it. Skydiving huh. out of a plane uh, while Shoot to Thrill plays, and then, then there's dancing girls, and he's just undresses from the suit, and he's in his other suit. And it's like, oh my God, this is incredible! But at the same it's time... Really, yeah, it, yeah. It's really interesting that... Um... This the, 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 Robert Downey Jr. and the way he's portrayed in the movies really does change how the comic books portray Iron Man in the comics. Yeah, um, like in the sixties, he is meant to be this dashing <laughs> Errol Flynn kind of uh, Howard Hughes figure. Yeah, but then after that, it kind of all fades, falls by the wayside, and it's just standard superhero stuff, really. Um, it is, but. The movies are the ones who are like, no, no, no. He's a rock star. We've got Robert Downey Jr. He's a rock star. And, and the yeah. comics then pick that up, and he starts to kind of be a hell of a lot more of a rock star in, in, in the comics. So it's kind of, as we saw um, with Pepper Potts in the first Iron Man movie, how Gwyneth Paltrow, that some of these powerful portrayals in the movies actually do the reverse and start to inspire the comics. Um, I guess because they've got more pull and more eyes on them. Yeah, no, 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 that absolutely makes sense. It just, it's just a bit bizarre because at the same time, as much as I love this whole rock star image, it's like this is a world in which arms conventions are essentially small rock concerts. These are <laughs> like. <laughs> I have never been to an arms convention. I've read about them. I know the ones that happen in the X, uh, the XL Center, and I can't imagine them being as flash and full of young, excited people as that. They're, they, they're usually full of, I think, middle-aged men with contracts. <laughs> they, they would be, it would be, would be if, like that. If one had, if the local farmers' convention <laughs> featured an appearance by the world's first and only superhero. I think there'd be a lot of uh, a lot of people be pulling up to that farmers convention. Yeah, okay, you got me there. You got me. There's probably a lot of fakers going. Oh yeah, I love death and uh, illegal <laughs> means of stuff and anthrax is it, and is automatic it, is weaponry. It a weapons? Is it a weapons convention? Oh yeah, that. First, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it is kind of an weapons convention. Looking, but I know they were going to like st- branch away from it, but eventually he's got. Uh, he he is advertising what his company does, and his company is still kind of selling weapons. So I would call it an arms convention, really. And you know, later on in the film, 
we'll get onto it when Justin Hammer's there and he's advertising stuff. And it's like yeah. this is definitely an, an arms convention. And this, con- this isn't this isn't the Stark Expo, is it? This is Stark. This is the Stark Expo at the beginning. I always had it down oh, as an arms. Stark Expo is coming up, isn't it? Oh no, no, you're right. Yeah, no, there's, t- there's two Stark Expos in this film yeah. for the price of one. Uh, uh, the second one, flashy in a different way. But um, after that, um, it, the, there's a courtroom scene where he has to explain the. Uh, w- w- would you say it's the uh, the, de- the possible dangers of the Iron Man suit as well, isn't it? There's the possible dangers. Yeah, of the Iron- yeah. I there, there, I had several thoughts about this, but um, before we get onto that, uh, introduced in the courtroom scene is well, I think he's introduced a bit before is Justin Hammer. So Rob, tell us more about Justin Hammer. Um, after the Mandarin. <laughs> I reckon Justin Hammer is like Star is Iron Man's biggest villain in the comics. Yeah. He's more than because we saw Ironmonger uh, in in the first one, who who is Stain Obadiah Stain yep. is a is a big is one of the big villains, but he burns brightly and quickly, and he's kind of done. Like mm. he ruins Stark's life, but then he's kind of blows his head off. <laughs> <laughs> and he's done. And he kind of yeah. doesn't have much of a lasting impact other than buying the company away. Um, Justin Hammer... So we, we talked in, in episode one about that very uh, iconic Iron Man storyline that was called Demon in the Bottle, mm-hmm. where Tony succumbs to alcoholism. Yep. His life gets kind of ruined. Obadiah Stane buys Stark International. Well, Justin Hammer is right there in that story at the start. Wouldn't surprise me. So, Stark's being kind of knocked around on all sides by Stain and and Hammer, and he works out that Stain is a part of it. He never knows that this guy Justin Hammer is taking shots at him as well, um, sending supervillains to go and destroy Iron Man. Um, Hammer, who who according to the writers who created him, they said he was he's kind of uh, meant to be a, 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 what what Tony Stark could have been. Like a cautionary tale, if Stark hadn't moved away from building weapons, there this we is go. what he would have gone on to become. Um, Hammer invents or gets hold of something that lets him take control of the Iron Man armor whenever he wants. Oh, God. And Tony does not know it's going on, and he's got no protection for it. And he takes control at a very key moment, and essentially remote controls Iron Man into murdering a foreign ambassador in front of the world. And wow! That's, yeah, it's huge. It's 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 dark. It's huge. Everyone thinks Iron Man is a murderer because he kind of is. Um, <laughs> and it takes him a long, long time for him to. You know, it takes him a little bit to clear his name and get people back on side. And then Hammer's not done, and Tony has no idea this guy's after him. He hires an one of my favorite little minor Iron Man villains called Spymaster. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, come sorry. on. I'm sorry. <laughs> we have not got all day to laugh at comic book character names. Spymaster. <laughs> What's wrong with Spymaster? He's a master of spies. He <laughs> does what it says on the tin. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I'm done. So, so Hammer uh, hires and sends this this great spy called Spymaster, the master of spies, to, to and he steals Stark's Iron Man blueprints. Yeah. And Hammer then sells Iron Man's armor plans all over the globe under Iron Man's under Stark's nose without Stark knowing about it Stark finds out retroactively that a number of his supervillains who have got cool tech and armor are wearing his designs 
and that loads of governments, agencies all over the world have now got his Iron Man tech. It's fallen into all these different hands that he doesn't know anything about. And that sets off an, a really big, cool storyline uh, in the comics called The Armor Wars, where Tony says, right, anyone who's got my armor, you've got two days to blow it up or I am coming for you. <laughs> and he wow. goes after he- heroes, villains, the CIA, S.H.I.E.L.D., and he just starts <laughs> beating everyone up and taking his armor back and blowing it up. <laughs> and that was all that was all kind of Hammer's doing. So so Hammer's involved in like three really huge plots against against uh Tony um in the in the end of the seventies and then the start of the eighties. And eventually Justin Hammer dies in a space station by falling into a vat of water which leaks out into space and turns him into a giant icicle floating wow. around the earth forever. It's a very Moonraker death. That is a very Moonraker death. It also reminds me of the death of Moriarty in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comics. If, if you ever read those. I, I, come on, listen. Listen, mate, listen. <laughs> We're going to start some bad blood here. How does Moriarty die in the... Uh, we, don't, we haven't got time for this. We, we, haven't, haven't, got got time time for this. For, we haven't got time to cross over We've and We've got a lot to get through. Into the more extent cinematic if universe. If you know how Moriarty <laughs> dies in uh, League of Extraordinary, uh, send an email to marvel versus marvel at gmail.com. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, well, so that, that's Justin Hammer. That's, that's Justin Hammer. He's kind uh, of a big deal. He is, and, and in this film, he's played by Sam Rockwell. Now, man... Like Marvel in in these movies are just <laughs> knocking up some of the best. Uh, some of the you know we we had um, oh I'm, I'm going to blank on name. We had Tim Roth. Yep, Tim Roth. Uh, and we had uh, in in the Incredible Hulk. Um, mm-hmm. And we had uh, the original guy to play Bruce Banner in the Incredible Hulk. Uh, oh, his name is now leaving me. Sorry, no, 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 no. Bill Bixby. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, in the movie, the last movie we watched, the guy playing Bruce Banner. Oh, sorry, Ed Norton. Ed Norton. Thought you meant the original God, that one. Was so frustrating. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Uh, we, had, we had Ed Norton and Tim Roth, and we got Sam Rockwell. I mean, you are doing a who's who of great indie movie actors, aren't you? Really? Oh, totally. I, and I, I don't think I've ever seen Sam Rockwell do a bad role. Not even when he was in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He did that role justice, even though it wasn't very good. But he, he he's just so... Oh, even when he's like playing... He's kind of geeky in this, but kind of like... Uh, he's got a chip on his shoulder. And, and he's a bit of a sm- smart talk. He's a, bit, he's a bit of a gabbler when it comes to deals and stuff. And, and he just plays it so naturally. He, he, does play, he plays someone that's lived in Tony Stark's shadow his whole life. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, regrets he's, it. Which is got, really... Uh, great as we talked about whiplash earlier mm. that's kind of a really big theme with iron man villains they're people who see tony stark and go i hate you i must build a death ray <laughs> i hate you so much i must build a death ray yeah i mean that is essentially him and he pops up in the in the court scene and he tries to like you can tell he's hiding back his anger but i loved the court scene there were two reasons uh you, i probably i posted about this on facebook but man bloody Gary Shandling as Senator Stern. Oh my god, it's like, when he started talking, it's like, like oh, hi there Tony Stark. I, I, I thought he was going to say, have you heard this? Have you heard this? Because of Larry Sanders. Because I've been watching the Larry Sanders show recently. All I could think is him like doing an opening monologue and then Rip Torn at the side going, you go get him kid. You know, that kind of thing. It's so great because... Um, I know! 
I mean, Gary doesn't do much acting. Like he's not, he doesn't crop up movies. No, he, he, he's just he's just a comic. He's a comedian who's had his own show at one point, and they just randomly go, "You know what? You can play a senator in this film." It's and great, it's, and he keeps cropping up as well. Yeah, he keeps cropping he, up. He's, we, what? Well, I mean, he's not a comic book character for us to talk about, but no, no, he he makes his first appearance here. Mm. We'll see more of him um, in things like Civil War. Yeah, as we get going, because he is, uh, he's the, and this is the first instance we see of Hydra, I guess, retroactively yeah. in, in the MCU. Uh, this is whether he's a fully bought and paid for senator at this point or not. We don't really know, but he is a hail Hydra dude. Yeah, um, and it makes sense then that he's coming for these uh, powerful figures that might be able to work against such terrorist organizations. Yeah, it, it and and I mean we'll cover that later to be honest. But also one more thing I wanted to say about the uh, courtroom scene. I really appreciated the nod to RoboCop 2 when they look around the world at uh, the videos around the world of other armies trying their own Iron Man programs. You have like North Korea and places and it's like this is RoboCop 2. That's <laughs> 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 the bit from RoboCop 2. I love it. Uh but well, yeah, it, it, yeah, it is quite frankly, it is shades of the Armor Wars story that we just sort of talked about. Ah, there uh, we go. And That's Shades true. of Crimson Dynamo as well. As ah. soon as one comes along, you know, there's that thing that is parroted in, in a lot of the Batman movies that as soon as you have one kind of one person breaking the mold completely in a, in a suit, mm. in, in a costume and a mask and everything, then it gives rise to lots of other people to go, you know what, I think I'll just do that as well. Yeah, it opens um, the, open the gates. Big, big action always drives a big kind of response. There we go. Uh, I mean, it's, it's logical, but all I could think was it's Robocop 2, which was a similar kind of thing, I guess. I, I know, I know. That's what went through my head with that. Anyway, back to the story. So later, Stark learns that the Palladium core in the arc reactor that keeps him alive and powers the armor is slowly poisoning him, and he cannot find a substitute. Growing increasingly reckless and despondent about his impending death and choosing not to tell anyone about his condition, Stark appoints his personal assistant, Pepper Potts, as CEO of Stark Industries and hires Stark employees, Natalie Rushman, to replace her as his personal assistant. Stark competes... Sorry. We'll we'll, we'll talk about Natalie later on, I guess. Yeah, Natalie Rushman becomes very important later, obviously, because why would you mention (laughs) a change in personnel like that in a story? Uh, So later on, he goes to Monaco and Stark competes in the uh, Monaco, I was going to say Monaco. (laughs) Monaco. Monaco. That's the the wrong emphasis. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. So the the Monaco historic Grand, Grand Prix, Grand Prix, where he is attacked in the middle of the race by Vanko wielding electrified whips. Uh, Stark. They Dom's- never say they never say whiplash in, in the movie at all, do they? They never. No. They never, he's like he never has that. Like we never had Ironmonger. Never was really called Ironmonger. Like yeah. Like we as we said before, they don't have that like cackling supervillain <laughs> moment. Or that really cheesy moment where a reporter says, "Hey, look, guys, he's like, she's like some kind of iron manger right <laughs> in the newspapers." <laughs> that, that's like not a part of these movies. Yeah, which I, 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 I for one is a think is a big shame. Yeah, I get you. I get you. But you, but after like you know the whole shift of comic book and supervillain stuff, uh, even even from Spider Man, the Sam Raimi Spider Man films, where it still retained the air of I'm the Green Goblin. These, you kind of want to move a bit more serious, especially I think around the same time the Dark Knight trilogy was out, and they kind of yeah. wanted to go a bit towards that way. 
uh, less towards cackling. Definitely, that's, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, how, that's, how, that's how I see it. So, uh, Stark dons his iron armour and defeats Vanko, but the suit is severely damaged. Vanko explains his intention well, was to well, prove to the... let's Ooh. just take a moment here. Oh, yes. To have a look at this armour. Oh, yes, of course. What? This is not the armour we've seen before at all, is it? I mean, I know there's a di- change in the... Because you go from the circular... Oh, no, you get the triangular one a little bit later on, don't you, in this? Yeah, but yeah. this is a completely different suit. This is not uh, red and and uh, and gold. Uh, this is for the first time on screen red and silver. Yes, and it folds out of that attaché case, his briefcase. <laughs> that is the cool. I went crazy in the cinema seeing this because um, he has the 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 case, doesn't he? And he opens up the case and he mm-hmm. kind of puts the armor on bit by bit in a quick change sequence, which. Um, is something that dozens of Iron Man action figures I had growing up had. It was like a really cool feature. You'd buy a figure that was like Tony Stark, and then he'd have all these different attachments that you'd clobber onto him to turn him into quick change Iron Man. Um, <laughs> and this is like this is a and maybe well, this is a big one for me. When I grew up, Iron Man looked like this. He was red and silver. Um, like last week, we talked. I grew up with a grey a grey Hulk wearing a hat and yeah. working in Vegas. I grew up with uh, <laughs> Mister Fix. I grew up with yeah. I grew up with this this different. I grew up with Spider Man in the black and white costume, mm-hmm. Wolverine in brown and tan. Oh yeah, uh, Hulk working for the mob, <laughs> and I grew up with this red and silver Iron Man. This is kind of affectionately known as a Silver Centurion armor. Okay, that um, makes a lot of sense. And it came about in uh, mid '80s, and it's it, we we don't see it here, but in the comic books, this is uber uber powerful armor. Okay, um, he builds it because uh, during the, the armor wars that we I mentioned earlier, he's got to go around the globe and defeat everyone that's wearing like a knockoff version of his armor. Mm. So he has to build a suit of armor that can defeat his suits of armor. So he builds this red and silver. One, which aside from anything else, it has a force field. Um, Wait, you can't get through. That's, that's amazing. Has, yeah, it has a giant. It's called a heat lance, <laughs> uh, which it's a massive laser, and it can turn invisible. So oh. <laughs> you have invi- an invisible Iron Man with a force field and a giant laser, and he just yeah, it was a really cool suit of armor, and coming out of the the attaché case was... It was the 80s. We had yuppies everywhere. The attaché yeah, case yeah. and the Filofax was king. And in the 80s, like, Iron Man does kind of become like the Marvel yuppie. You know, he, he's, he, he really has dresses and those suits and everything. And so his, he started to store his armour in the attaché case, which I thought was baffling because how heavy must that thing be in order for you <laughs> to carry it around with it? So this is really... It's really cool to see because a big hallmark in the comics is that every different writing team and artist gets to put their own spin on Tony Stark because he is always inventing new things. He gets to build new armor all the time. So you can completely change the look of the character and kind of build new armor. He's builds like armor that can go into space, that can go on the water, that can, we'll see it when we get there, defeat the Hulk. Um, he's always getting to change, but this is the first one where the color scheme changes. We had in the sixties, we had, uh, Started off grey, went completely gold, then red and gold. 
He had a bit of a nose for a while, a literal metal nose that was very odd, wow. and he had pointy horns almost. <laughs> and then he kind of looked the same for 20-odd years. So this is the time when the Marvel comics were going, it's been 20 years, we can probably change how he looks now. Um, that's what, that's what yeah. I said about the Crimson Dynamo, and no one listened to me. <laughs> <laughs> the Silver Dynamo, come on, come on, people! <laughs> so, yeah, so I mean, yeah, sorry, yeah. Back, back to the action. He, he gets kind of, uh, he gets his butt kicked. He gets his butt kicked, but the idea, Vanko explains his intention was to prove to the world that Iron Man is not invincible. And another thing about the Monaco, scene, Monaco scenes, uh, he bumps into Elon Musk. Elon Musk, back before he, be- before he became a massive twat. Before he became... I, I, think, I think the original lines is that Musk bumps into Tony, and then as he's walking away, Musk yells, Nonce! at him, just as he's... <laughs> Just as he's leaving, I really, I'm, I'm fairly certain I read that somewhere. Uh, yeah, Musk. I do you think this is the moment when Musk went? Oh, I know what I could do. <laughs> I could try very hard to become like that guy in that movie I was in. Yeah, I, I think he's basically uh, he's trying to be like Tony Stark in real life. If Tony Stark was just incredibly unbearable. And just yeah. horrible. Yeah. Well, 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 make no mistake about it. If Tony Stark was in real life, he would be unbearable. Oh, God. Yeah, you got a point there. It'd be he, awful. You've heard it here first on Marvel vs. Marvel. Elon Musk is the real Tony Stark. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. If, he, if we put our safety in his hands, oh, God, that would be, um, that would be terrible. But anyway... Away from, uh, away from, away from Monaco and Elon Musk. So impressed by Vanko's performance, Stark's rival Justin Hammer fakes Vanko's death while breaking him out of prison and asks him to build a line of armored suits to upstage Stark. During what he believes is to be his final birthday, Stark gets drunk Aww. while wearing I know oh, while wearing birthday. the Iron Man suit. I know. Disgusted, Stark's best friend, U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel James Rhodes, dons Stark's prototype armor and tries to restrain him. The fight ends in a stalemate, and Rhodes confiscates the armor for the U.S. Air Force. Oh my God! If I've watched Iron Man two a handful of times now, and that party scene—it it was a bit cringing, but at the same time, quite quite Is brilliant this towards based the end. Entirely on the fact that Tony does a record scratch. He tries to DJ in the armor. Oh no! It's like that. Stop being cool in the nineties, man. Don't do that. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it really. But I, I think it's got to be intentional. Yeah, I think I, they're I, trying to show that he's completely lost it. He's not even cool anymore. I, I, I hope that's what they're trying to show, because you're right. It's like something you'd see in a kid and play movie <laughs> from the end of the eighties. Yeah, I, I yeah, think they are saying yeah. to you, not only has he lost his will to live, he's lost his cool. Oh. The Fonz is dead, everyone. He's going for that sort of sort of lazy, oh yeah, I'm the cool guy, I got a jukebox and a convertible and a leather jacket sort of cool. And it's like, ah, you, you're showing your age now, Tony. But I think it got really good towards the end when he just went DJ, play something, and they do that nice mix, and it goes from another one, Bite to Dust by Queen, with little extra yells in, and then it got, uh, was it Robot Rock by Daft Punk? Or was That's that? Right. Yeah, Robot yeah. Rock by Daft Punk, which I absolutely love, comes in, and it's like, oh my god, what a song to play during this. And it's, it's ridiculous, uh, but it balances cringing and brilliance at the same time, I thought. But this is an important part, as you said. This is, uh, was it Devil in the Bottle? 
Demon. Yeah, yeah demon. Demon, in the demon in the bottle. This is about to, this this is this is really touching on his alcoholism. Well, as much as Disney will Oh no, it wasn't Disney at the time. As no. much as kind of like a family friendly Marvel will do, they're not gonna do a um they're not gonna do an alcoholism story. No. No. And and it but what it is is it's about this is the nightmare scenario. This is what that the Senate hearings were about. Yeah. Right? This 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 is there's no oversight. <laughs> there is no one that can stop this from happening. This is a an unhinged man who answers to no one wearing a weapon of mass destruction. Absolutely. It's not a good idea. <laughs> it's like if a um, nuclear weapon uh, went through a breakup. <laughs> That's what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool so Rody puts on the suit and we talked about uh James Rhodes in in the first episode when we first met him and how Rhodes as a character is kind of quite is really important and he gets retconned to being part of Stark's pretty much his origin and he's there from mm-hmm. his best friend but what we see here is uh so in the comic books um when when Stark kind of loses everything loses the company loses his mind and becomes a, a shambolic drunk um Rhodey is the guy that has to step up and become Iron Man in his yep. absence, and he becomes the the second Iron Man, basically. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. He puts uh, because Tony Stark is drunk off his ass and irresponsible and a mess. Rhodey has to put on the Iron Man armor, take in charge of the situation, and he's maybe the only person that can kind of calm him down and stop him. Um, and he obviously taking one of the suits of armor to the Air Force. Is um, that's not something Tony would ever really like or want? Like Tony, oh yeah, trusts trusts Rhodey, but he doesn't really trust the um, the Air Force. Um, he's a private. We he's s- a private firm. Of course, he doesn't trust the government. <laughs> yeah, he's perfectly happy to take all those lucrative contracts off them. <laughs> yeah, um, but Ro- Rhodey. So Rhodey will be Iron Man several times over the years in the comics. Um, what's really interesting is that. So when he when Rhodey is Iron Man, mm. he doesn't have Stark International, and he doesn't have Tony's Millions. Oh. And so what you quickly realise is that there is no way for him to afford any of this. The upkeep <laughs> of the armour is immense. So Rhodey has to start taking mercenary jobs on the side. Oh no! <laughs> he has to do anything he can in the armor because he needs to get all the money in to keep the armor going, which is something only Tony Stark can afford. That's um, amazing. How is, would you how would you maintain this suit? Because I mean, it's constantly shiny. So that keeping the shine of it alone, <laughs> the shine the on that wax. thing, so the turtle gotta, wax needed. Yeah, tur- yeah, you, turtle wax. He's, well, he's, he's not a dad on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have to be. Yeah, um, and oh, he did it with the machines. Obviously, he just trained a robotic arm to like you know wax on and wax off and whatnot. Um, as as the years go by, Rhodey gets uh, they're kind of jumping ahead to in this in this comic. Sorry, in this comic in the MCU, uh, Rhodey gets just like another version of the Iron Man armor. In yeah. the comics, he gets mm. um, Tony Stark leaves him. He fakes his own death. Uh, and Tony Stark leaves him control of, of Stark International and something that is known as the Variable Threat Response Battlesuit. Variable <laughs> Threat Response Battlesuit. Um, variable, different... 
okay. Different different threats. I mean, I, I've, I've, it, it, it kind of makes sense, but it doesn't make any sense in the English language. Variable threat, and that that's why you just call it the War Machine armor. Um, yeah, and then Rhodey breaks away from from Stark, gets his own comic book, joins the Avengers, leaves the Avengers, joins the Avengers, leaves the armor, returns to the armor, goes back to being Iron Man, goes back to being War Machine, mm. on and on it doth go. Um, so that that's a, a kind of a, a cool little moment to see Rhodey wearing the armor for the first time. And that's a, a, you know a call, callback really to the first film where he looked at that yeah. that kind of silver grey one and said next time. Yeah, that was that was that was that was a cheesy moment for me, but it's just like, oh, it actually makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it makes sense when it comes to this. So, back to story. Nick Fury, director of Shield, approaches Stark the next day, revealing that Rushman is Agent Natasha Romanoff, and that Howard Stark was a Shield founder whom Fury knew personally. So, we have two two good people there. Two good people. Two good people. Uh, let's- Let's delve into Howard Stark first because that's a quick one. Um, okay, yeah, we could talk about Howard Stark now. He 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 comes about. This is Tony's father. Yep. Um, he's really not introduced until the seventies. Um, originally, so he's not really an entity. At, he's not really a thing at all to begin with. Even when he's first introduced, it's like yeah, his dad. Um, <laughs> but he's not like he built the company and and he was this genius inventor. Um, so originally, Stark comes about in the nineteen sixty three. I think I think it is sixty three. Um, is when Iron Man the comic book comes out, mm. and originally it's Tony who is the first person building all this amazing stuff. So anything that that, that came along in the fifties and sixties and seventies is Tony, right? Mm. But then as Marvel exists on this sliding time scale, yeah. <laughs> whenever yeah. you're reading Marvel comics, the characters came about a first came into Twitter about five years ago hmm. by the time you get to the 80s Tony Stark can't have been building stuff in the 60s for S.H.I.E.L.D. because he's only just started, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. obviously obviously. So, I, I, so the tough, if, yeah. by the time you get to the 70s and the, by the time you get to the 80s really you've got this huge gulf of no genius inventor saving the world hmm. so that's when they kind of retcon Howard Stark into things yeah, you'd have to yeah, Shield needs Shield needs someone to build its equipment from the get go, and it can't be Tony anymore because Tony's now in the eighties is a much younger character. Blah 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 blah. So the problem with that is that Marvel gets retcon crazy with Howard Stark. Bloody, they hell. go, oh hey, <laughs> maybe he's in World War Two with Captain America. Maybe <laughs> he helped to build Shield with Nick Fury. Maybe he was part of the X-Men villain Hellfire Club. Maybe he was best mates with Mr. Fantastic's dad of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> like, it's constant Howard Stark retconning. Mr. Fantastic I think, Senior. <laughs> I think he's now part of a secret Avengers team from the 50s. Um, it's just, yeah, yeah, ludicrous. So that, that, that's Howard Stark. Um, oh, and we also get... Yeah, Romanoff. No, what's her name in this? Sorry, uh, Natasha. Natasha. It's Natasha Agent Natasha Romanoff. Yeah, or R- yeah, Rushman. Sorry, but she pretends to be Natasha Rushman or something, didn't she? Yeah, that was that was. That, she, yeah, she's the the Black Widow. Um, Iron Man's first recurring villain, the Black Widow. 
So she was a villain to begin with. She's a villain to begin with, yeah. Yeah, she, that makes a lot of sense. She has no costume, no powers. She is just a devious Russian spy. She's like um, one of the Bond girls. You know the evil Bond girls? Oh, That's yeah. That's what she is. She, she keeps turning up uh, at Stark factories wearing uh, evening an evening gown and a veil. She's always wearing a veil, hence Widow. Yep, yep. Uh, and 60s Iron Man is always about the commies trying to blow up Stark factories. Or constantly. That's the only thing they want to do. The Soviets have got a, not a lot on their hands. Um, and she brings in the Crimson Dynamo to attack Tony Stark when we first see her. She kind of leads the Crimson Dynamo to Stark Industries. She tries to seduce Stark. It doesn't go well. Here comes the Crimson Dynamo to smash his face in. And then when, he, when Dynamo defects to the US... She comes back to basically murder him with the second Crimson Dynamo. Um, she then seduces this young archer called Hawkeye, <laughs> who, who Hawkeye is on literally full costume and everything on his way to be a hero. I'm going to be a hero, and then he meets this hot Russian bird, who says, "Maybe I know who the real villain is. Hey, he's this guy called Tony Stark. Why don't you go and shoot some arrows at him?" Um, and kind of gets. Hawkeye wrapped up in this world of crime to begin with. Mm. Um, she then gets a, 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 a really odd grey costume. It's utterly weird. It's kind of... It, it's it, Like, there's no... Every aspect of the costume is like a different shade of grey. It's very ugly. Uh, and she gets these wrist blasters called the Widow's Bite. They're really <laughs> kind of just weird. Got, they're just, they're just the like guns... You've got to keep They're the branding on the wrist. Here. Yeah, guns on the wrist, widow's bite. Keep the branding up. And so, so she's a, she's a, a villain for a little bit, but then after a while, she falls in love with Hawkeye. Ah, oh. oh, everybody falls in love with Hawkeye. Oh no, she, only and just so, her. Yeah, and then yeah, she defects. The, the, the thing, the, the actual thing to say is, everyone falls in love with the Black Widow. Um, she defects to the US, and and and, and for the start, she's not allowed to join the Avengers. Mm. But she is Hawkeye, who has joined the Avengers. She's like his girlfriend, just hanging out. She's always <laughs> at the Avengers mansion. She goes with him on missions, and eventually the Avengers go, I, "Just join the fucking team, then." Um, and she becomes, uh, she goes on to be heavily involved with Daredevil. Good, becomes one of Daredevil's main main partners and girlfriends. Ends up leading the Avengers. Has a fling with Captain America for a bit. And then down the line, they kind of introduce, reveal her origin story where you can say she had basically no choice but to be a, a Soviet spy. KGB trained her from birth. Lots of like brainwashing and, and evil spy tactics. Um, and during her Soviet... Another, another notch on her bedpost. During her Soviet days, she has a very strong relationship with the Winter Soldier. Ooh, hello. Yeah, so uh, we'll we'll see a bit more of that as as Marvel vs. Marvel continues. We'll get to it when we get to it. Everybody so that's loves... the Black Widow from from evil Bond girl wearing a veil for <laughs> no reason, uh, like a crazy aff- affectation, to um, a proper superhero, yeah, and leader of the Avengers. Absolutely. And we've talked about Nick Fury before. We've gone through Nick Fury's backstory. Yeah, yeah, we have. We are up to date um, with Nick Fury. He's white in the comics. That's kind of all you need to know. <laughs> he's a he's an old war horse from the Second World War who fought alongside Captain America, and he's white, and then he's not. And you've got to go if you've not seen it. You've got to listen to episode one to hear the whole Armin Tamzarian scenario based around <laughs> Nick Fury 
why he's white in the comics and now he's black in the comics and black in the the whole thing's on there. Uh, check out episode one of Iron Man one. I'm really, really happy that it's officially called an Arnon Tanzarian scenario. Nothing else we can call it, Will. Nothing else we can call it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So back to the story. Fury explains that Vanko's father and Stark invented the arc reactor together, but when Anton tried to sell it, Stark had him deported. The Soviets sent Anton to the Gulag. Fury gives Stark some of his father's old material. Tony discovers a hidden message in the diorama of the 1974 Stark Expo. It proves to be a diagram of the atomic structure of a new element. So, with the aid of his artificial intelligent Jarvis, Stark synthesizes it. When he learns that Vanko is still alive, he places the new element in his arc reactor and ends his palladium dependency. So two things there. Did he have a Palladium dependency in his comic? And can we talk about Jarvis much? Because Jarvis is his, is, is his helper. Yeah. Well, Palladiums, uh, which you can be live at, I'm led to believe. Palladium is... Uh, no, sword, uh, just, just me then. Live at the Palladium. Mm. Doesn't matter. Oh, it doesn't matter. God. It's I'm a sorry. light entertainment joke. It doesn't matter. Um, no, Palladium's not a thing in the comics. Well, you have to understand... You have to, Will. I'm instructing you. Uh, okay, so, I'm listening. <laughs> uh, Stan Lee creates Iron Man before heart transplants have ever happened. So wow. there's like... They, no one knows what's going on with the heart. He's got shrapnel slowly moving towards it. The idea you could remove the heart and replace it with something else is not on the cards. Mm. So, yeah, Palladium's not really it. He's just got... as as. M- 60s Iron Man does a lot magnets <laughs> uh, Stanley's understanding of science fiction is really magnets magnets keep the shrapnel from moving it's like you remember those old those old um, make a face with magnets games you've got lots of yeah. iron filings that you can move around and make someone's hair and their beard that's what this chest plate is <laughs> there's a magnet just constantly keeping the shrapnel from stabbing him in the heart um, yeah. and then yeah they they, they Come up with lots of different names for it. Um, I think they probably see in the comics he um, got rid of the of ever needing to have something um, protect his heart. He was cured and fine. He invented oh. something that solved it, or he got a new heart, and then they've kind of gone back to it as the movies became more and more popular. So I think he has got something in there replacing his heart, but it's not called Palladium. Um, it's got another bizarrely non-appropriate name. Yeah, that makes but sense. But let's talk about Jarvis. Yes, Jarvis. He is the Marvel Alfred. <laughs> so of in course. this, he's he's just AI, isn't he? He is just AI. But is he supposed to be a real person in the comics? Yeah, he's he's Tony Stark's butler. Proper, <laughs> just proper butler. He's he's balding. He's got little wisps of hair. He wears the proper butler outfit, and he bottles. He bottles around Stark Mansion. <laughs> Uh, and then when the Avengers, uh, when Stark sets up the Avengers and, and the Avengers start living together in Avengers Mansion, Stark kind of gives them Jarvis and Jarvis looks after all the Avengers. He cleans Thor's cape and he makes food for Captain America and Hulk and he's just the Avengers have a butler that looks after them. Um, and he's been very important over the years. He was brainwashed for a while. I think he did something weird, but mainly he's just a butler. He's 
um, affectionately referred to like as he's like the fifth Beatle of, of the Avengers. I, uh, <laughs> Captain America, <laughs> Captain America kind of always refers to him as he's proper Avenger. He's a proper Avenger. And he's like, well, is he Captain America? Because I've never mm. seen him, you know, throw a shield at anyone's face. But yeah, Jarvis kind of does all that. And I guess they figured it's very hard to have sympathy. We're already portraying you with a billionaire. Like, it's hard to have, like, heroic sympathy for a guy who has a butler. Yeah. Totally like, it's a bit agree. easy with Iron Man because... Not with Iron Man, with, with Batman, because it's kind of his dad. Yeah, it's kind but of his yeah father figure. Jarvis is not Tony Stark. He's not a father. didn't raise him. Nothing like that. He just... just just one of his wage slaves again. <laughs> I'm amazed he hasn't developed a super laser <laughs> to kill Tony. Everyone else who comes into contact with Tony Stark goes, God, I hate this guy. But Jarvis sticks around. So, yeah, they, they make him into AI and they write his name like it's an acronym of something. Yeah. But I've looked. It doesn't stand for anything. <laughs> Is this like Thunderbirds and all those puppet shows back in the 60s where they used to have acronyms for everything and like old James Bond? But like sometimes they meant something and sometimes it didn't. And whenever it did mean something, it was incredibly forced. Like, what was what was Spectre uh, in James Sm- Bond? Smirsh originally, isn't it? And then it's it was Spectre in the books. And all that. Yeah. Smirsh was it's, in the books. Yeah. Yeah. Spy. The spy. The first letter, it stands for spy. Like, don't yeah. call your spy organisation. Don't put spy in the name of your spy organisation. <laughs> call it uh, Woolworths. You'll get away with it. <laughs> no one will look at that, up, will they? They go, what's happening? Where's all that money going? It's going to Woolworths. Well, I could do with them getting back on their feet. I like them. Um, <laughs> what's it? Spurs? Spy killing bot. Oh, I get him. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it could stand for many. If you think you know what Jarvis stands for, J-A-R-V-I-S... Please send an email to marvelversusmarvel at gmail.com. What on earth could Jarvis stand for? Jam and really vicious. <laughs> I'm giving up. No. No, you, you wrote yourself into a corner at the beginning when you started with jam. But that's the only J I can think of. <laughs> no, can you think of another word that starts with jam? Starts with J? Starts with J. <laughs> I've just got jam on the brain. Jam. Jam and really uh, viscous industrial syrup. <laughs> That's pretty good. I mean, it, I, made, it did make sense at the end, yeah. Didn't make... Yeah, it, it, it tied in, but it's not something I'd ever buy. So, back to the story. So, at the expo, this is the second expo, remember? There was two expos in the film. Uh, Hammer unveils Vanko's armoured drones led by Rhodes in a heavily weaponized version of the prototype armour. Stark arrives to warn Rhodes, but Vanko takes remote control of all the drones and Rhodes' armour and then attacks Stark. Hammer is arrested while Romanoff and Stark's bodyguard, Happy Hogan, go after Vanko at Hammer's factory. Now, you wanted to go. You wanted to have a, have a chat about Hogan, didn't you? <laughs> Happy Hogan is um, we we glossed over him because I, I you know what I, I watched the first movie he's a background character doesn't really yeah, do anything one, one scene um, he he in in the comic books he saves Tony Stark's life yeah and Tony Stark gives him a check for like thousands of dollars hmm. and and Happy tears it up and goes I don't want your stinking money what I want is a job working for you <laughs> which is the dumbest thing. Um, 
because that's that's just taking his money uh, in a different yeah. way, and and yeah. so he becomes Tony Stark's chauffeur, and he gets. We talked about this in the first in the first episode um, with, with the first Iron Man movie. Pepper Potts and Happy Hogan are the ones that have this contentious relationship and this flirty bickering back and forth in the comics, and there's a love triangle. Stanley, right before inventing the modern superhero. Uh, in in the sixties, was writing romance comics, and he's really good at sticking love triangle. Like Twilight has got nothing on Stanley. There's always <laughs> a love triangle in every comic. Um, sometimes it's love triangle between two of the same person. Like like the classic the classic one in in, in Superman is the love triangle between Superman, Lois Lane, and Clark Kent. <laughs> uh, two of those are the same person. Um, that happens a little bit in Thor. We'll get to that. Um, so Happy Hogan uh, and Pepper Potts are kind of in love with each other, but always at odds. And then they go off and marry and get married, and and then they they decide they want to keep Pepper Potts as a character, but they don't need Happy Hogan as a character. So he just gets killed off and never spoken about again. Proper uh, Arnon That's the first, the first one. Yeah. Fuck, that's uh, so harsh. Yeah, I mean, what what you get interesting in this fight, you get to see that. The War Machine armor for the first time. Yep, yep. With the shoulder cannons. I gotta tell you, man, in the nineties, shoulders and lots of guns everywhere was de rigueur for angry, violent uh, like let's make Marvel Comics grim and gritty. Uh, we we had cable in the X Men for the first time. He's got pouches and guns coming out everywhere. And um it was someone looked at Iron, uh, the Iron Man armor and said, "What if we just stuck loads of guns and missiles all over it?" Yes, um, I like that. It's kind of cool to see, and you also see, admittedly, it's not just in Hammer, but someone takes control of the of the Iron Man armor and remote controls it to blow stuff up, which is, as we said, a big part of uh, the Justin Hammer Iron Man story. And it's you fact- get that cool fight, don't you? That really cool fight. Uh, in the corridor with Black Widow and Happy Hogan. I was going to talk about that because you are watching two different fight scenes at once because like they both walk in and Hogan's like, it's okay, love, I've got this. And then <laughs> he's fighting this bloke, but it's an incredibly raw and vicious fight. It's actually, you know, and then while that's happening, Black Widow just goes off and does this fancy finesse-filled Batman-esque, like proper ninja stuff. She's taking out several people at once without getting hit at all. And then it cuts back to Happy Hogan still fighting the first bloke, not knowing what's going on. But and it's like, um, I mean, I, I I don't I, I know you're not much of a gamer, but if you ever play, if you get around to playing the Batman Arkham games, uh, what's what's happening with uh, with uh, Black Widow is a lot like what happens in those games, all about coordination and going from one person to the next to the next, and lots of stuff happening. And then with this, then back to Happy Hogan, and then suddenly you've got him like, oh, there's ear biting or whatever, and it's like, oh, grim. <laughs> so Happy Hogan is exactly how I play all of those Batman games. That's that's my skill level. Just jump <laughs> on one person, punch them, and then you've lost the game straight away. Um, <laughs> I, I liked I, it. It looked like they, they kind of... They really worked at giving uh, the Black Widow kind of moves that made her almost look spider-like in how yeah. she... You know, she's kind of upside down a little bit, and she uses her legs and stuff. I thought that was kind of neat. That was really neat. It, it was it was good. It was a well-choreographed fight. I, I'm a sucker for stuff like that. 
It's just it, 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 it no, no complaints over there. I, I just loved it where he, where he just finishes off that guy and he turns he goes he goes I got him and it <laughs> looks and there's all these people yeah. just, just lie on the floor in pain. One one guy strung up and everything. It was just perfect. So after that, Vanko escapes, uh, but Romanov returns control of Rhodes' armor to him. Together, Stark and Rhodes defeat Vanko and his drones. Vanko. Well, commits- that was to, to interrupt you there. That yeah. was. The this is not as good as Iron Man one. Mm. I don't think this is as good a film as The Incredible Hulk, which we saw was an under really underrated, really oh. tightly well put together movie. Incredibly, incredibly. But there are two two moments in this film which are so awesome to me as a comic book fan that I for the first time I was watching a comic book come to life. Mm. And it's the the Monaco Grand Prix where he he puts on my favorite child my favorite armor from my childhood in from the attaché case and he fights a dude with giant whips who's destroying things. I was like, that's that's like a comic book scene come to life. And seeing Iron Man and War Machine back to back blowing up a whole bunch of robots done re- like the CGI. It looks perfect. It looks beautiful. It looks doesn't look dodgy. Um, that it that. Honestly, was like the Saturday morning cartoons I used to watch, but yeah. their their live action. It was like seeing an awesome comic book being filmed, and I think that was the first time <laughs> it really. There's a a few of the when Iron Man blows up some of the um, desert, some of the um, bad guys in in the Middle Eastern villages in the first Iron Man film. That yeah. felt like, and a little a little bit some of the some of the Hulk fight. In Incredible Hulk, but this one that was seeing two characters come together for the first time, and I know they're both essentially Iron Man characters. Yeah, but it's still it still was a really really cool moment. Um, and getting Black Widow in the mix because although she starts with Iron Man as the villain, she kind of is more of an Avengers character and a Daredevil character, Daredevil a little bit more of an Avengers character. So seeing her in the mix as well, it's all part of this building this universe. It was just super, super cool. Sorry, carry on with the plot. No, 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 no. I was have to hear this stuff. But uh, where was where was I? So, Vanko commits suicide by blowing up his suit along with the defeated drones. And That's that de- the second... <laughs> I mean, if you're Murder, She wrote this, I think someone <laughs> needs to take a look. Uh, I go, Miss Mate, you've done this twice now, and both times the person you're fighting has killed themselves. Uh, we really need to have a bit of a conversation about are uh, is that really happening? Are they accidentally falling into arc reactors and intentionally blowing themselves up, or what's going on here? All I can think now is Iron Man is just going, He's got a gun and then placing a pistol at the three in, in, in the really bizarre teen soap superhero series Smallville. Uh, yeah. What kept happening was someone would find out that Clark Kent had superpowers. And then that person, they would be the bad guy. Mm. They'd find out he had superpowers and then they'd die. And it happened so often that you could, <laughs> as soon as someone found out they had superpowers, it doesn't matter. He's about to die in a convoluted manner. Um <laughs> And it just, it just, it just kept that guy's not lasting. Mm. That guy's not lasting. That's not the case here, though, is it? Because everyone knows he's, um, you know. Sometimes what the writers like to do is they like to have the moment where the bad guy knows 
oh, I've discovered your ultimate secret. But then they're like, but I don't want that to carry on. <laughs> so I'll just kill the person off. That's down again. I've served both masters there. But that's not the case here, is it? Because uh, his I think he's public at the moment. They obviously just, Marvel just realised they could not afford Mickey Rourke for his second movie. <laughs> is he an expensive actor? Because I, I don't rate him that highly as an actor. I don't think he's that good. He was okay in this. He's I got a great look. Yeah. Uh, I, I, like, I, I, I like him. I, 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 I do like him. I don't, you know, as a movie actor, I think he's, I think he's, he's great. Yeah, he looks, looks good, sounds good. I like his voice. I love his voice. I just think that he's always the same person in most films. They just need like we need someone who looks who basically so looks is like Robert sexy. De Niro and Al Pacino after uh, Godfather Part Two. Okay, <laughs> exactly the same. Oh no! Don't pull that on me. <laughs> it's, yeah, okay, you got you got a point. Anyway, so uh, at a debriefing, Fury informs Stark that because of his difficult personality, Shield intends to use him only as a consultant. Uh, Stark and Rhodes receive medals for their heroism. Right, so Shield is properly mentioned in this film. Properly, for the first time, we kind of they they start to talk about his Shield, don't they? Rather than Supreme. Oh no, what do they call it in the movies? It's not. It's not the classic acronym. It's what's the classic acronym? The classic acronym of Shield is um, Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't know why, that's just what it was. It was because what they did is they came up with a cool name and then they worked out what it should stand for later. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, it's Homeland is in there. In the, in the MCU, it's something Homeland, security, Homeland, intelligence, I don't know. Um, but yeah, they start to call it, they start to refer to it as S.H.I.E.L.D. We see a lot more of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and they're going to they're gonna work for it. And we did, we did talk briefly about S.H.I.E.L.D., in in the last one, um, it is this thing that essentially Nick Fury in the comic books after the Second World War, Nick Fury kind of um, gets retooled as he's no longer a war comic guy. The Howling mm. Commandos are no more. We see them in um, the first Avenger, Captain America. We see every other member of Nick Fury's Howling Commandos as part of Cap's World War Two buddies. But wow. Nick Fury can't be there because he can't be that old. Because he's been whereas retconned. in the comics, yeah. he, he is that old, uh, and he he, he uh, ages very very slowly. And then you get this awesome Nick Fury uh, as a run by a guy called uh, Jim Steranko. And Jim Steranko is a fascinating uh, comic book figure. He there's some indication that he had a very action filled life. He was an escapologist. He was an escape artist. Um, he was a he was a real drinker. He was a real he was just an awesome. He was like he was just an awesome, awesome, full life dude who uh, mm. was an incredible comic book artist. And he and he created this incredible series of Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. Really awesome art. Lots of high espionage, kind of psychedelic influences in it, um, and that formed the backbone of um, what Shield would kind of be. And Tony Stark. Builds all this cool stuff for them. The the heli carrier, which we see a lot of in in the Avengers movie, Stark builds that, and he builds a flying car um, <laughs> that, Tony, that, that, uh, that Nick Fury uses. He builds these things called life model decoys, which are essentially like robot clones that um, 
it allows Tony, it allows I, uh, Nick Fury to get shot a lot and die a lot, and then at the end of the issue, oh, it was just one of my life model decoys. Oh, I'm God. fine. Oh um, God, that's a Deus Ex Mechana. That's quite lazy. Yeah, and, and Tony is kind of sat oddly with Shield uh, in the comics for several years, and he, he eventually he takes over and he kind of becomes in charge of Shield when Nick Fury gets kicked out and deposed. And no one wants to take orders. Is the shield is made up of essentially like military espionage dudes, and then in comes Tony Stark, and they're like, "We're not taking orders from you, you pampered trust fund baby. <laughs> why would we do? Why would we do what you say?" Uh, that's that's totally true. That is totally true. Uh, yeah. So the, at, this is this is essentially the end of the film, but we do get a nice post credit scene. And it was exciting. I know, I, I've seen them all the films, obviously, but this did get exciting. Uh, in the post credit scene, S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Phil Coulson reports the discovery of a large hammer at the bottom of, of a crater in a desert in New Mexico, setting up for the next film. That was, that was really, again, that was really cool. Like, like when the, uh, the, like when you see Nick Fury at the end of Iron Man 1 and when you get that, that connection in, in the Incredible Hulk between them, yeah, it's really it's really awesome. And seeing the the hammer on Earth is pretty cool. Um, the hammer's awesome. Mjolnir's really really fun, really cool. It was a a big a big. You start to get the mythology. Yeah. So what you've had so far is uh, the science fiction elements. Um, and kind of the high action elements, and now you start to see that the Marvel Universe is just that much bigger. It's not just monsters and scientists and kind of robot stuff. You you start to look up, and there's magic involved, and there's this kind of yes. other, other world and other plane of dimensions. That's really important. The, the coolest thing about the Marvel Universe to me, and the reason why I think the X-Men sit very much at odds with the Marvel Universe and I kind of don't want them to get merged, is yeah. the Marvel Universe is all these different elements and, and, and layers and, 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 and kind of, you know, the Fantastic Four get formed and suddenly they discover there's this secret, there's this secret nation you don't know about called Wakanda and in it there's <laughs> the Black Panther and then they go over there and there's, what's this nation? Well, there's this nation ruled by a maniac in an Iron Man suit called Doctor Doom. And then they go into space and find all those aliens. And they go into another dimension and find the Annihilation Wave. And it's just kind of the Marvel Universe has got so many different um, threads and elements to it. And that's why I, I love that there's magic involved with, with the Thor. And then there's also these like high science fiction stuff. What kind of bugs me about the X-Men is that every origin and every place that they, is exactly the same. Yeah, It's born that way, born that way, born that way, born that way. <laughs> and it was it was fine when there was like five of them, maybe even up to ten of some villains. But flipping heck, when there's six monthly comic books featuring lots of different and everyone, how did you get your powers? What's your origin? It's just born this way, mate. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. So that I feel, but anyway, well, I think what's a really cool bit is that you see the hammer of Thor, and it's kind of opening up a brand new world and a brand new aspect. It's that moment of we are not alone, and that's what makes it so good. And that is what's going to make uh, the the next episode so good. 
as we uh, is that the next episode? Wait, is Thor next? I'm lost. Yeah, oh, I don't, Thor's next, it, isn't it? It fantastic. I haven't seen Thor in a while. So that brings us to uh, brings us to the end of the film. I mean, what was your what was your final verdict of it? You were kind of <clears throat> yeah. It, it 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 is not. It does not stand. It it outstrips Iron Man three, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as good as. It's not as good as the first one, and I, I I did feel it was a bit of a, a letdown. But in terms of yeah, in terms of how the movie is, does that make sense? It's not as good a movie. Yeah, as, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it serves a lot of masters, right? What does it deliver to us? It delivers War Machine, Black Widow. Um, it, it it really starts to expand things and, and open things up. So. I, I think it, it. I'm I'm being kind of harsh on on the whole thing, um, which I'm allowed to do. <laughs> but you perhaps perhaps not judging it in 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 the in the in the way it should be received. It has two amazing moments for me as a fan. Two real not fan service moments, but moments that made me go, "Yeah, I'm watching a comic book done as a movie." So in that respect, it really blew me away. No, that's good. I mean, a lot of people uh, I speak to are very, very convinced this is one of the worst of the Marvel films. But I do enjoy the <laughs> the bickering dialogue too much to me not to like it. I love the the, the chemistry oh. between the actors and places. It's just so good. Yeah, I mean, so it's a it's we wouldn't we didn't cover it too much. So Paltrow and Downey Jr. are phenomenal in the first one. They're really they're even better in this one. Oh, but absolutely. also I think Johansson and Downey Jr. they they developed this awesome uh, frenetic kind of little relationship, mm. which reflects the comic book characters. And uh, I think it's it's really she makes her mark very very quickly. I think. And oh, that's totally got some nice back and forth there. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's just a surprise. She's only only finally getting her own film. I mean, I'm surprised it didn't come back sooner. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and this is the part of the movie. We've done our final verdicts. This is the part of the movie? No. This is the part of the podcast where, where we want to find out what what was your <laughs> what was your favourite thing you've learnt then from uh, f- from the the Marvel comic trivia that we dropped in episode three. I, I, I don't know. I, I would have to probably go with the Crimson Dynamo just for the name and the fact that 13 <laughs> iterations of it did not bloody change the name. <laughs> and they kept... It's a, it's a bit... He, he's kind of the, the, the Team Rocket of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> team uh, Rocket? What, just, what a reference. Oh, God. It's throwing exactly the same thing at exactly the same uh, problem again and again and again and again and again and again. And never that, like, no Crimson Dynamo has any success. They keep yeah. getting blown up, killed, or thrown in jail. And the Soviets just go, send another one. <laughs> uh, and then when it's no longer the Soviets anymore, the Mafia are, send another one. And uh, some Hydra think, you know what? You know what never worked 12 times in a row? That Crimson Dynamo. Let's build another one. Let's send him out there. <laughs> So that brings us to the end of episode three of Marvel uh, versus Marvel, and that was the end of Iron Man two. The MCU builds step by step. 
Join us for episode four as we go to a completely different element of the Marvel Universe and we take on Thor for the first time. Uh, you can send us a wonderful message to uh, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com if you want to give us your thoughts on Iron Man 2, the MCU, or any of the trivia um, that we've dumped on you. Hey, have you spotted something? You know some excellent bit of trivia that we've not yet divulged that we should have done, that we missed? Then send it over to us, and we'll be happy to include that in the next episode. Uh, make sure that you join us in re-watching Thor so that you can uh, retackle it in the next episode. You can obviously get the new Disney Plus app, which has got all the Marvel movies on there, and I'm sure there's some other illegal means as well <laughs> to, uh, to get through it. Please make sure you like and subscribe the podcast to let us know how we're doing. Give us a rating, give us a like, subscribe so you get all the updates for all the next episodes that come in. And we'll see you next time on Marvel vs. Marvel when we'll be tackling Thor. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please send any emails, thoughts and comments to marvelvsmarvel at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe the podcast to make sure you're getting all the info on the next episodes. And don't forget to rewatch Thor so you can join us for episode four. Bye.